Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 419. Um, I'm joined this week by Liam Williams, who you'll hear from the podcast. I became like a massive fan of in a really short amount of time. All in the last year, really. While I was in Canada at the beginning of the year, someone recommended Please Like to me on iPlayer. And I adored it. And I um, I binged every season. Um, it's really good. It's about YouTubers and influencers, but it's oh, we talk about it in the in the uh, in the podcast. Then I went on and binged Ladhood again. Another one that I was like, I'd heard of someone on Twitter had mentioned it, and I binged the the whole lot in no time at all, and absolutely adored it. So I was ready to sit down and have a good chat with Liam, but I wasn't ready for it to go as smoothly and and wonderfully as it did as you'll hear from the start I mean it takes a minute to get into the actual stuff that I wanted to talk about like Stafflet's Flats like Back to Life which for some reason I called Dead to Me which is a different show I don't know why I said that but um yeah because we're just having a chat and it was really enjoyable and then all of a sudden our time's up but um I think you'll enjoy it and I think if you find Liam as naturally funny and relatable as I did, then you'll really enjoy Please Like and Ladhood because they're both, yeah, his his natural demeanour and manner just really makes them so unbelievably watchable. So um, if this is your first time tuning in, so Liam was in Stafflet's Flats with last week's guest Katie Wicks and Jamie Dimitri, previous guest, as mentioned, he was in Back to Life with previous guest Daisy Haggard. So basically, I've had loads of really good comedians, actors, r- writers, and all sorts of stuff um, in the mix. So um, yeah, go and check them out. As ever, brought to you by SpeechDevelopmentRecords.com. A lot of you will know that Black Friday's coming up, and I have a tradition there, but I'm, 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 I'm doubling down on the tradition slightly this year. So keep a good eye out. Um, on my socials or in the web store on Black Friday and that whole weekend, in fact. And yeah, patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip. All, all options for you. But um, more than anything, just enjoy the episode, which happens to be episode 419 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Liam Williams. Right, I'm I'm here today with Liam Williams, and we've literally hardly said a word to each other. As soon as you popped up on my Zoom screen, I kind of said, "Are you all right to start recording?" Because I thought it'd be nice to meet on record as such. How are you, man? I'm well, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'm decent. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I've just got back from a haircut, so it's a rare time I'm staring at a Zoom screen and not furious at what I'm seeing. It's kind of it's that one day it looks nice. So I'm, it's I'm looking right. good. Yeah, I can say for the benefit of the listener, it's looking good. Well, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, speaking of the listeners, this podcast kind of came about because of of someone tweeting me, and it's a weird story that you you won't know the complete part of. But my brother had come round, and we were having a catch up, and I was saying to him, "Are you familiar with 
uh, Liam Williams because I've been watching loads of his work recently and I think he's fucking great and I'm not hearing enough people talking about him. And then after he left, I went on Twitter and someone called called Alex Beardle had tweeted saying, oh, would you have Liam Williams on the podcast? So it was an instant, yeah, I'm up for that. So here we are. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, good old Alex Beardle. I don't know him. Do you know who he is? I don't know him at all, no. no. I went and looked his name up just before we came on this Zoom because I thought, credit where it's due. I hate it when people are like, someone tweeted. I could, you, yeah. you could have looked that up and given him credit. It takes yeah. a few seconds. Some nobody, some slug on, on the social media. <laughs> some some prick I've never heard of. <laughs> Thanks, Alex Beardle. Hasn't even got a blue tick. I hope he's listening. Maybe he, you know, maybe he won't even bother listening. He's like, ah, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not bothered uh, personally about yeah. William Williams. I just uh, <laughs> what, was inquiring. Have you ever had him on? Um, <laughs> I just wanted it to happen. I don't. It's not personally for me, but I'm I'm, I'm glad it exists, and yeah, yeah. that's good. So, so how's it all been been going? Obviously, it's the obvious question at the beginning of every conversation, on the record or off the record. Like, how have you been this past year? It's a weird one for creatives, I guess, but you've been able to keep fairly busy. Yeah, well, it's one silver lining of the of, of all of this, isn't it? That it gives us something else to talk about, a, a big levelling conversational topic apart from the weather. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we can be grateful for that. Do you know what? It's been all fine for me. I managed to keep working, which is an absolute uh, mercy, I guess. And because I kind of worked from home anyway, really, apart yeah. from when I'm out filming, which, you know, as a percentage of the year is not actually all that much. I'm otherwise just in working at my dining room table where I'm sitting now. So I suppose, if anything, I feel like the rest of the world got in on my act. You know, I felt less unique when, uh, yeah. when we locked down. And uh, that mainly, I didn't, obviously didn't really mind that. But but one thing it did change, the, the thing that's nice about working from home is when it feels like you're, you are a little unique in doing it. And also that there's a whole world going on sort of outside the window and, and everyone else is going off and getting on with stuff. And you're somehow feeding on that energy if that doesn't sound too yeah ridiculous and, and spiritual this sort of ongoing I think bizarrely I get on really well with my dentist and we have really <laughs> like long like it's one of those things it's a bit, I don't know how your haircut was but I've had barbers in the past who I have to like schedule in about two hours for the haircut because they talk so much it's a bit like that with my dentist and he uh when I was sort of describing all this to him he said the global ambience changed and I said, yeah, that's a good phrase for it, the global ambience. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, but if my greatest complaint about it all is that it affected my perception of the global ambience, I wasn't really suffering too much. So I was okay. I was all right. How about you? I mean, you must have spoken about it. Yeah, yeah, a fair bit. But, I mean, just speaking of of, of, of chatting to people, I, I do, I love ch- chatting with my barber. He's a really good bloke. But because of these podcasts... In general, I'm fairly socially awkward. I'm not the most r- relaxed in group situations or whatever else. So I genuinely do a little bit of prep before going in for a haircut and think, <laughs> oh, what can I tell him about? And what have I been up to? And what can we talk about? Because I don't want it to get to that point of just awkwardness and feel he has to to feel like that. So what can I ask him about? Like what progress? I follow him on Instagram. So I know some, oh. some big things are happening here and there. So, so yeah, I genuinely, I'm depressingly organised even in regular conversations it's like so here's what i've been doing and i hear about this recently you know i respect that you've got and what are the topics are there some like fail safe topics for you and your barber or do you kind of mix it up every time there's a few we're both into into a lot of tv and film 
but often we've not, you know, you never know what the crossover is going to be. There'll yeah. be certain yeah. things that we'll mention and we both know loads about. There'll be other things that you'd assume everyone is in on and they're not. So yeah, there's always some good some good chats. One of the awkward points is always, I don't like to watch movie tra- trailers. I'm a massive fan of films, but particularly if it's something I know I'm going to see, I don't yeah. want to see the trailer because it will ruin bits. I'd rather see it as the art. But him and his, obviously, again, barbers all talking about stuff that's coming out. There's often, and today it was the the new Matrix trailer, which I've not seen, but of course I'm going to see a new Matrix film. It's it's the Matrix. It's a big deal. So, yeah, there's always awkwardness there of them kind of going, I don't want to ruin anything, but here's what you need to know. So, yeah, that's always good fun. So he's a spoiler barber. He's prone to spoiling films for you. Slightly, slightly. Um, I have that sometimes with my brother as well. He'll always he'll recommend the best things. Like I watched a documentary on on iPlayer recently that blew me away. But the walk round to my dad's, where my brother was telling me about it, was I don't want to spoil anything. I mean, this comes up quite early on, and it was all kind of like, no, you've said it's great. <laughs> Stop talking about it, yeah, and let enough. me go and watch it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of there's only there's a real limit on how meaningful that conversation can be until you've both seen the film yeah uh, exactly that he's giving you his opinion in advance and then you'll get back to him in uh, in two weeks or whatever yeah exactly or, or one of the things i've got on my list to talk about because i want to talk about loads i want to go through your upbringing because that's kind of relevant to, to ladhood i guess in a way um but yeah as i said i love ladhood I, I, i've loved please like Stafflet's flats and dead to me are two of the best things on TV recently, but speaking of iPlayer and speaking of this this documentary, amazing documentary called The Last Mountain, and okay. you don't kind of have to give a strong opinion on this, but The Last Mountain and Ladhood and Please Like have all made me feel that iPlayer don't do a good enough job of pr- promoting their shit because there's so much good stuff on there, but it feels like there's a lot of it that's just you stumble upon organically mm. when all of those things are completely up my up my streets. So I guess, how do you find, or how do you approach creating stuff? Because I liken it to the Edinburgh Fringe, I guess, that we're in a time where there feels like there's more opportunities than ever, but there's also more content than ever. So it's harder to get to get noticed. So how does that all play into your mind when creating stuff? Do you think purely about the art or do you think about a, who's going to see this, how are they going to see this and all that? Yeah, interesting question. Well, up to now, I kind of feel like in a way, it's interesting you mentioned the Edinburgh Fringe because I feel like my career, such as it is, it doesn't even feel like a career really. As I say, it just feels like me sitting at my kitchen table or dining room table a lot of the time, just writing down things that have happened to me. And and it all started for me really at the Edinburgh Fringe doing stand-up from the beginning of the last decade, 2010 sort of time. And stand-up brings a, I mean, maybe it was the same for you or it's the same with life, your, the live element of your work. Um, it has a real, there's just such urgent, a sense of urgency to it, whether that's with the audience who are yeah. right in front of you there and then, or the next gig or, you know, the ladder or the roller coaster, whatever cliche you want to use. There's just a, a, a forward momentum that comes with it. And there's a degree of that from going in from stand-up and live work into TV uh, and a lot of the stuff I've done has been, you know, I've kind of been doing Ladhood for at least, uh, 
six, seven years in a way wow. because I've, I got this radio commission after my first solo Edinburgh Fringe stand-up show in about 2013, which I quickly decided would be uh, – this working title was Stories from My Teenage Years, which uh, wasn't really wasn't uh, punchy enough, but that's what <laughs> I, I knew it was, was going to be. And that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. And so with that, I don't – I guess there's a degree of like thinking about how you present it and what the audience is going to connect with and, and that sort of thing. But largely it's just been adapting the Edinburgh Fringe show into a radio show and then adapting the radio show into a TV show. So the main purpose would just be to preserve the spirit and the sort of style and the essence of the thing that came before – and we've really looked out in that um, it's it's exactly the sort of thing BBC Three want at the moment, which is like, well, they want various things, but what a major thing is millennial-focused content, a degree of nostalgia, comedy, but with uh, with that slightly more with, with a bit more pathos to it. And that just happened to be what we were doing anyway. I didn't really set yeah. out to design it uh, to be a show. And P- please like came about similarly. That this is my. Uh, YouTubers, vloggers and influencers mockumentary, which is on BBC as well. Uh, that came about the producer and the creator of the show, the producers Rupert Magendi and the creator of the show was Ollie Cambridge. And they they already had pitched it, I think, to the BBC and they must have got knocked back maybe because the BBC kind of said, look, this world of YouTubers and so on is so kind of silly and sugary that it's beyond satire. Yeah. Maybe if there was a slightly more, there was a slightly more cynical less sugary aspect to it, it could work. And I guess they, they thought, who's, you know, cynical and, and not sugary? <laughs> and they came to me. So so again, that was, and uh, look, being really frank at the time, I really enjoyed doing Please Like. I don't know if we'll do more, but if we, I, I guess I would if, if, if we could. Uh, but the other thing is, you just, you just want to, okay, so maybe this is, this is contrasting from what I just said about Ladhood. But at that time, I was, com- when Please Like first started, I was completely skint. I was trying to move away from stand-up a bit because I was not particularly enjoying it. I felt like mental health-wise, it wasn't the best. And also, I'd had an injury where I broke both my heels, and so I literally wow. couldn't couldn't stand up for yeah. for while. So I was having to, I was pushing towards uh, trying to do more TV and stuff. And so I was really skint, and I just needed something to get. So maybe with that one, there was you know I was thinking I don't know anything about YouTubers or influencers or anything. But I could see how this show could have an appeal. So I'm going to learn, you know, I'm just going to watch loads of loads of vloggers. So with that one, maybe it was just a tiny bit more mercenary. And I was thinking, what's popular and yeah. what's an angle that I could take on that? So, yeah, it, it varies from project to project, I guess. I love it. There's loads I want to talk about in that. But I need to quickly jump on the how did you break both your heels? I once had a condition called policeman's heel, I was told it was called. And it's where you're the soft bit on your heel has cut on the inside and then it's healed to the bone. So rather than having the moving cushion that should be there, you're getting pain on every step. And that was just climbing over a fence from somewhere I shouldn't have been um, oh, in Essex in my in my youth. Um, yeah. But yeah, how did you do both your heels in? It's the idea with that, it being called policeman's heel, that uh, police would jump might jump over fences and things or walking the beat so much or yeah i think it's walking the beat was the impression i got was it is it comes from either sharp impact or repetitive impact so it's that thing of a policeman on the beat exactly as you say would have 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 had their heels kind of their bone just dig away at that 
at that protective cushion. So, yeah. yeah. So my injury or injuries, uh, I've heard referred to as various things. I think uh, scaffolders heal for obvious reasons. And um, I love that they like to give it a profession. Yeah. It's like wrestling yeah, yeah, yeah. in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to give an injury a profession. Yeah, yeah, uh, and also Don the Don Juan fracture, I think, right? Because uh, Don Juan, you know, the the the, the classical figure of philandry, romance, sh- yeah, shagging right. about, yeah. yeah, He was always sort of having to jump off balconies because the his lover's husband would come home or whatever, so he'd have to leap out into Amazing. the uh, into the square and um, break break his heels. For me, sadly, it was it was nothing so so romantic as that. Uh, I was cli- trying to climb in the f- into my flat. I was feeding my neighbor's cat that week, and I'd woken up one morning really late and hung over. And then I think just did this was during that, that as I said that era where I was doing stand up and maybe enjoying it less than I have been, probably drinking too much and uh, not having to do anything in the daytimes. You know, just lying around feeling quite uh, feckless and sorry for myself. And uh, I'd woken up this morning, went on Twitter, as I kind of tended to every morning at that time, and, and uh, saw a cat meme or something after a few minutes of scrolling and was like, oh, no, that cat. I've got to feed that cat. I haven't given her a, her breakfast this morning. So ran downstairs with the neighbor's keys, fed the cat, and then left their flat and realized I didn't take my keys uh, oh, along with me, couldn't get back in. And at that point, I could have just stayed in the neighbor's flat all day. It was much nicer than mine. And there was a nice cat in there. He had some interesting <laughs> books. The cupboards were full of food and stuff. And somehow I got it in my head that I had to climb in. And I'd done this climb successfully like quite a lot of times, but usually drunk and usually in in the dark. And um, this was like, I guess, sober, but also hungover and middle of the day, which are the worst <laughs> possible conditions to be to be climbing, I think. And yeah. Um, I got really high. I got drunkenness allows quite... a looseness, doesn't it? Oh, Alco- yeah. I mean, alcohol I'm... loosens everything up. You can I, you can reach yeah. further than you would have reached before. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't recommend climbing. Obviously, don't climb drunk. That's the, or, or sober. Don't climb anything. But even possible. more, don't drive sober. <laughs> or climb sober. Sorry, not drive. Yeah, right, Definitely right. drive sober. Yeah, yeah drive sober. Keep, I'm mixing but, up all my messages. Yeah, try not to climb drunk, and definitely don't climb sober. Um, I'm not recommending to you know rock climbers to, to, to have a, <laughs> have a tipple beers. yeah yeah um yeah so i got i had my hand right in the i could feel the bed basically the hand was like right in and then as i went for that final kind of reach i slipped and fell i didn't have my shoes on and it was that thing when you're falling where you're like oh no i'm falling and then that moment which hopefully one never has uh, uh has as seldomly as possible in life which is oh no i'm still falling because yeah. that's not a good feeling um and hit the ground and i guess it was like the kind of sort of injury where the like your body must rush with adrenaline so quickly that you don't really feel it at first yeah but i tried to to walk and i i couldn't do that so i sort of crawled back in the front door because the neighbor's keys let me in the front door to the building and uh then just lay down in the hallway and uh eventually my housemate came home and sort of carried me upstairs and we went to hospital and they were like, yeah, you've fractured both heels. Uh, one far worse than the other. And, but it was just, it's just that annoying thing. I couldn't put, I, you know, if, if it were only one, I could have gone around on crutches, but I just couldn't. Yeah. So I was just consigned to bed for weeks and had to like go to the, to the toilet in a wheelchair and stuff. And, and then when I was slow healing as well, isn't yeah. it? That kind of thing. It's quite, cause nothing you can do about it. It's just, yeah, you have yeah. to wait. 
Man, that's that's rough. But I'm but I'm I'm all good now because you re, you're lying there in hospital. They don't really want to give you an out and out prognosis because it varies from person to person, I guess. Yeah. And so you're just googling, and of course, a lot of the people who've had it and are talking about it on the internet are the people who've had the worst outcomes. And there, and yeah, there's nothing. I couldn't find anything particularly recent on this. I think it's called the calcaneal fracture. The heel bone is the calcaneus, mm-hmm. and. Uh, all the sort of medical reports on it were from like the 1930s and stuff. And it was like, this wow. kind of injury can, you know, spell the end of a man's industrial career. So it was kind of very common, I suppose, roofers and scaffolders and yeah. stuff. In, in, in modern times with shoes and all sorts of other yeah. things, there's no reason for someone to be breaking both of their heels. No. <laughs> so we're only not. writing about it in the past. Has, has yeah. your neighbour ever asked you to, to look after their cat <laughs> since? Or did the guilt get them? The honour, to be honest with you, the neighbour... I never told the neighbour. Oh wow! Like they, I guess they saw me going round on on crutches and stuff, but I, I, can't, I think I told them I fell off stage. Right. That was it. Yeah, because I didn't want to to put the guilt on them. To put the guilt and like, what's what's wrong with this guy? You know, just yeah, yeah. So I just kind of made everyone's life easier and made something up. I think. I, I love it. Um, going back to ladhood, do you feel there was? Hearing how it came about, do you feel there was a filtration process from it being the live show to being a radio show to being a TV show? Because I, I don't know if if you're like me in any way, but I always remember chatting backstage at a gig once and one of the poets I was on with was like, yeah, I'm just I'm trying out a first draft of this thing tonight. And I almost l- laughed because I rarely had drafts. If I've written it, it either works or it it doesn't. So it's kind of... It feels nice that you've had all of this time to r- refine and perfect the the concept, I guess. And I again, I don't want to over compliment, but I feel it comes across. It feels quite effortless, despite it being quite complex in what it's dealing with at points. Oh, thanks. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess it's easy. To, like, I have to remind myself sometimes that I've effectively been doing this thing for for sort of seven years or whatever. And even that story I was just telling you then, like about the broken heels, like. I kind of told it on stage for a while. I had it as a routine for a while. So yeah. even as I was speaking, I was like, I kind of feel like I'm doing material here, which is not necessarily a good, a good thing. But you just can't help it because your brain like yeah. gets those kind of neural pathways are set up. I've and I figured get, that's out the best way to tell this story. So yeah, this yeah. is how I should tell it. Yeah, and and that's like a very common thing being a stand-up. I think because you you do get routines in your head, and um, uh, but I feel like more it. Yeah, I guess there's a nice uh, feeling of it becoming refined, and and I don't quite know what the metaphor is. I like, I just like the feeling that it takes on different forms. For TV, there are different requirements, obviously, than than for radio. That uh, like we, I'm sort of in there as a narrator figure. For anybody who hasn't seen the show, it's like yeah. at times a bit like uh, a Christmas Carol or something. Like I'm look, I'm 100%. kind of in yeah. scenes in my past, looking back, and on the radio, it was just that I was like doing a, a monologue you know it was just a kind of sto- disembodied voice telling a story but on tv obviously you can't can't do that you, you have to embody a voice well you can have a bit of voiceover but if the, the monologue is going to last for a minute two minutes there's going to be something on the screen yeah. so that's how we came up with this kind of concept and therefore it sort of becomes a new thing so every time you move into a new medium the thing becomes something quite different altogether you know there'll be people who maybe like the latter TV show who wouldn't care much for the radio show or, or vice versa. And the stand-up was a different thing altogether. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess some books don't adapt very well into films, do they? But I feel like 
everything you make when you when you move it to, into another form, it becomes something distinct. Yeah, completely. I love the idea of it being um, a ghost of Liam future looming over the youth <laughs> yeah. of uh, the history of your past. But I mean, the the beauty of the, sh- the show, I think, is on the surface, it's n- nostalgic. It's a bunch of young lads going through their lives, but this set up for each episode is your you in in current day and you're having some kind of issue that you've caused and you go back and look at where that comes from from your past so despite it being really easy to watch really enjoyable and fun I think it's quite deep in that it's a man addressing his past traumas as to why he is the way he is now. And I think that's, that's something that gets talked about a lot, particularly on social media, about people don't address their past and everyone should have more th- th- therapy and things like that. And it feels like quite a therapeutic show because it's the first episode, as an example, you're just getting angry because your partner is talking to another man. And then you go back and look at what that issue is uh, with you and why that comes from your youth. And yeah, I, I watched the first episode and thought, how long can this format work and then the more i watched i was like no almost all of these situations i found myself in and it just showed how i don't know how broken we all are in our in our uh, our delayed adulthood um particularly as artists and performers and things like that where we've we've grown up but kind of avoided properly growing up and yeah i think it works beautifully in that way as a as a a a therapy on screen almost yeah well luckily human beings particularly men are very dysfunctional so yeah. you're not going to quickly run out of uh yeah. things that we do badly or, or you know we could improve but yeah i tried to like it's a balance to strike uh say the radio show was a lot more verbatim and autobiographical with the tv i worked very closely with the producer joe nunnery who grew up in liverpool similar sort of um small town and uh, well he lives in a small town outside liverpool and so we we had similar upbringings and we could compare and contrast experiences. And so it became a bit more universal. We fictionalized a bit more with the TV show, but always always with the aim that it felt true on some level, even if not purely yeah. factual. I, and I'm very interested in, in therapy in general and just the, the relationship between past and present. It's, it's one of the things I wanted to bring up because there's numerous points where future you or future Liam I guess it is a character as well remembers things slightly differently to how they played out so so it's not this holier than than thou thing it is very much there's numerous points where you're getting to look at the past through the eyes of the future as such which again we have problems with all the time now with all of the horrible shit that people particularly celebrities have done in the past and which bits do we judge by the past and which bits do we judge by current standards it, it it walks a good good line there in in looking at all of that and uh yeah analyzing it i guess totally well thanks yeah i mean yeah it's 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 tricky isn't it even on a personal level for all of us i think that thing of what things do you let go of and yeah. forget and what things do you kind of learn from and cherish and what's the difference between kind of forgetting and repressing and yeah, I think I don't necessarily subscribe to that thing of like everybody should go to therapy, but I feel like this sort of I think it's and, and sometimes it can be really annoying when people over apply 
therapeutic frameworks to everything on yeah. social media or whatever. But on the whole, I think it's good that the uh, the concepts and the vocabulary of, of psychotherapy are becoming a lot more mainstream because I think it does help us to understand ourselves. And, and I suppose there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a notion that it's like a, an inherently quite selfish thing to be doing, working on yourself on that way, speaking about yourself and obsessing about your own character and, and psyche. But I kind of feel like, and this is hopefully kind of in the spirit of the show, it's about that growth and trying to learn from the past in order to be a, a better person for, for other people, to be less of a destructive nuisance, basically. Yeah, yeah, completely. Again, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's not in the, the in a self-obsessed type, let's let's can we talk about me kind of kind of way it's 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 more in the right well it's in our heads where all the problems like we are the all of our good and all of our bad if you know what i mean so we need to to look in into ourselves and address that rather than trying to look at other people to blame but the nostalgia elements again it's i always get annoyed with myself at how much of a sucker i am for anything nostalgic because it seems so simple it seems like such a cheat but the the episode that was kind of doing the music and just seeing the kind of the discussion of myspace music again that was i'm a, a, a little bit older than you but obviously that was a big thing for me and in my career it it, it, it was a key part but seeing music being made on like a music 2000 type setup and and layout on there and even the bit that i mean i couldn't help but connect with was in current time liam doing going and doing an open mic that was hosted by josie long because i've literally <laughs> done b- b- back in the day i did so many gigs with josie long so i was like yeah, now this yeah. is just literally from my past now and this is the present part so i guess how mu- how much do you lean into the or, or do you have to be careful of getting the 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 balance between oh do you remember this oh this was mm. great do you remember this and of you know all the other as all the other aspects of a of a show of a narrative yeah absolutely well yeah i think there's some line in the sopranos where um tony's sitting around with the with the guys and they're telling stories about the past and he says something like there's there's no more boring start to a conversation than do you remember the time yeah um, yeah but I don't. I think he's just in a. I can't remember what's happened. He's in a particularly bad mood that episode. I think. But but yeah. sometimes those conversations can be fantastic, reminiscing about the past with people yeah. you care about, and you've got good memories. You share good memories with. But there's kind of a limit on that, and uh, yeah. that's why we have cliches like you know, oh, he lives in the past, or or don't dwell on the past, or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, which I suppose cuts against all we've been saying about the importance of therapy and understanding our own life narratives and all of this. It is a balance. And I suppose in a comedic sense as well, there's, you know, it's almost like quite easy internet, co- not that I, I think there's anything inherently bad about internet comedy. Some of the, I probably absorb more internet comedy than I do TV com- comedy these yeah. days. But it's a, and this thing that has migrated into TV comedy as well. Just that, the sort of thing of like, if you're a 2000s kid, you'll remember this and yeah. just remembering, you know, just seeing objects from, 
they're not even distant past yeah. remembering if, if, them. If, if you had this, if you remember this, you had a great childhood. And I look yeah, at you and go, yeah, no, yeah. not necessarily. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, don't, I don't agree with that. <laughs> it's one material object. It, it's, yeah. it's, its meaning is, is limited in a cosmic sense. But um, it's a, 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 there's something in the air at the moment. There's a lot of nostalgia around, mm-hmm. and it ain't what it used to be, as the... <laughs> As the old joke goes. But uh, then is there some reason for that culturally? There are sort of theory. I'm quite interested in, I don't know if you know, Mark Fisher, the sort of late great sociologist. He was like a yeah. fellow at Goldsmiths, I think. He wrote some great right. books, one called Capitalist Realism and one called Hauntology. And he was very interested in why, in the sense of Western culture um, in the last few decades, um, being unable to like really move forward and being stuck in a kind of loop of rerunning things from the past. He was really interested in TV shows like uh, Life on Mars. I listened to your, the episode you did with uh, John Sim. John Sim, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if you, you know, a lot of the really good British TV shows of the last few years, decade or so, a lot of them are quite concerned with the past, things that have happened yeah. in, in the past. And, uh, uh, you know, yeah, you can theorize about because we don't have a particularly optimistic, confident vision for a future. Yeah. But, but perhaps is one reading of the way things are. We are kind of stuck in this loop of reconstructing the past. And yeah. And there's also on a more kind of quotidian level, there's that observation of like that seems to I don't know where it's come from, but everyone seems to know it now. Everyone seems an expert on this. Uh, if you keep rewatching the same TV shows over and over, it's it's because you have anxiety and maybe that's true. I don't know, but it is a thing that we all do, I think, isn't it? And yeah. I, I suppose stream, maybe it's also the, 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 just the, the technology yeah. we have now allows us to do it in a way that yeah. we wouldn't. It's before. because you have anxiety or because you have Netflix. Yeah. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's interesting as well though, because I would say any positive views we have of the future now come from the past because it's all based mm, on yeah. how like back to the future saw the future it's it's hoverboards yeah. and, and anything we see as positively futuristic comes from the future visions of the mm. 80s and 90s mm. rather than a realistic vision of the well, horrific future that is inevitably ahead yeah i don't know if we want to get too too far into the long grass on this but on the i'd say to, to everybody, check out Mark Fisher. He's a very interesting yeah. guy. But uh, his kind of theory is uh, that there was a positive vision of the future for Western societies until like the 70s, the kind of so a future of social democracy that I guess chimes with, uh, you know, there, there could be like hoverboards for everybody and, and functional societies where there's yeah. a degree of equality and all of this. Um, and when that gets eroded by, the, well, the fall of um, Russian, of the Soviet Empire and mm. And the and the rise of Thatcherism and Reaganite individualism and all yeah, that. yeah yeah that that we run out of those we these ideas of and for a while it doesn't really matter because there's a sense of things are, all, are going great anyway and then suddenly the last few years when everything's kind of shaky and we're we're we're, we're graph we're sort of scrabbling around for a new vision yeah maybe it will come but it's it's but while while it doesn't we kind of have to keep going over and over the past I guess. It's it's really interesting you mention that because I've been I, I I I casually did a tweet yesterday that I've now had to argue with people about ever since <laughs> because yeah. I did a tweet just saying don't wear the the amount of hours you work a week as a badge of honor like and mm. I said 
it's more important. Working hard is fine, but you need to make sure you're also prioritizing leisure and your mental health, all these other things. But in there, I said, it's a Tory trick. And again, I thought Mm. people would understand that. I'm not saying that it's the current Tories, but as you say, under Thatcherism, prior to that in the 70s, there was a big push to reduce the working week to four days and numerous other things because there was this prioritization of, of leisure and peace of mind. The thought was we get to a future where we can enjoy ourselves more rather than a future where we make all the money in the world and work more and we're the hardest working people. But it was that late 80s Tory thing that did kind of push the you could go up a level in class you you Mm. could achieve this all you need to do is outwork everyone and work harder and put in the hours all that money's there for you and so on and so forth so it was speaking on that that mindset that was brought in by the tories reagan all that kind of thing at that point that i think has changed society i think we do really put so much of our value we saw it in the pandemic that when people were stuck at home there was a real feel of slacking of not having any worth because we've put so much of our worth on our performance Mm. at work and that's a dangerous thing so yeah i think it's a really it's a weird and interesting subject and as i said you go back 10 years before that period and yeah there was focus on everyone having everyone having a house uh, Mm. reducing the working week all these different things bringing everyone up rather than individuals yeah well and the other thing that was i mean i suppose in the in the pandemic it was uh there was some good tweet i hate to say that i saw a good tweet but uh there was some tweet <laughs> i saw that said there was never a lockdown there was just middle class people hiding while working class people brought them things and yeah. we kind of did learn which jobs were actually very necessary yeah. but if you were like me i mean as i say luckily i could get on with my work anyway but th- for those of people other middle class people who had to be furloughed for a while or whatever there was a lot of privilege in that and but what it showed was uh and, and there was a lot of talk last year about universal basic income was becoming a more mainstream yeah policy proposal uh, where you people would receive an income from the from the state uh and that you know is guaranteed and and it means that your basic needs are met and then you can do what you want on top of that and with like the furlough we saw a version of that and yeah it's a shame that the the energy behind that idea seems to have run run out a little bit um and and we don't need to go into it too deeply now but if anyone is hearing that and thinking yeah but it couldn't work or it's unrealistic i had rutger bregman on who wrote a great book called utopia for realists and the first time he was on he's been on twice the first time he does such an amazing job of explaining how universal Mm. basic income is kind of proven that it would work. It's like it's not even like this crazy theory of uh, of, of an unrealistic f- future. It's proven that it would benefit everyone, countries financially, individuals, and amb- ambition-wise. All the different tests of it haven't seen people just going. Well, I've got the money in my bank. I'm just going to watch a TV now. It's as you said. It's freed people up to do what they want to do and to to strive for their 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 actual ambitions yeah totally well i i'll of course defer to that episode with him i i, I really like rugger bremen so i'll listen to that because i haven't heard yeah. that but um he's amazing he, he will explain it a lot better but but based but on a sort of human level to me it just seems like if you're if you're the sort of i mean it is economically possible that's there's no reason it, it's not possible that the state can uh you know couldn't produce that money 
and give it to people. And of course, it will generally all go back into the economy. So it will cycle. But uh, on just on a human level, if you're if you're like, oh, no, everybody will abuse it and nobody will, would ever want to do anything, then I think you've got to look at yourself and think about what, a, what sort of a vision you have, what sort of an yeah. idea you have about human nature. And I don't know, maybe that's your problem. Yeah, yeah. If that's your outlook, why is that your, that your yeah. opinion? His Rutger Bregman's second book, Humankind, is actually about exactly that because I think yeah. it's easy yeah. to have a real negative outlook on humans I do it all the time. But yeah, that kind of, again, he just uses examples from history to go, no, you'd expect in this situation it'd be all for ourselves, but it wasn't. Yeah. Although my my, my friend, uh, somebody I admire in the comedy community, Sean Morley, uh, yeah. and I promise this is the last, I hope this is the last time I'll do this. He did a good tweet. Uh, I don't <laughs> want my, my entire personality just to be a composite of quoting other people's tweets. But he said, uh, I, I thought I was pro- UBI, universal basic income, as a policy until I imagined how many stand-up comedians there would be under it, and <laughs> and I shuddered. And it's like, yeah, actually, if we all had, you know, there'd be a lot of people who are suddenly doing their their artistic passion projects and fl- and just flooding the world with uh, with bad stuff. But then maybe they would have an audience. You know, maybe they'd find their own little audience, and that and they maybe it. would, but. Also, I know how many people I'm having to turn down coming on the podcast who are comedians and have now written a book. Every comedian I ever wrote a book or got a podcast, um, and some of them are great, but it's such a tough one of I always want to ask the question. I asked it to to Jimmy Carr. What was it about a global pandemic and not being able to leave the house to earn money made you want to write your biography at this period because it's, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it's yeah. not necessarily a book that was needed but he's written something great so it's acceptable but yeah it's always an interesting one i mean well let's rewind back a bit what was your upbringing like because you grew up in a small town outside leeds right and that's yeah kind of what's what's shown in laddhood it really you said about working with others to make it so relatable that's really worked because I'm I'm from the south rather than the north. But that feeling of small town mentality of there's nothing really to do other than get drunk or get stoned or in my area cocaine's really big. Again, I think I think it's a hor- hor- horrendous drug, but mm. I'm also not too judgmental on it because I know that if you've grown up in that small town mm. mentality, your life is to work in. A, li- a living for the weekend, obviously the phrase, and to get as drunk and do as much coke as you can, and then head back to a job you hate. So, yeah, I've I've made it a really depressing and miserable question. But how was your upbringing? Yeah. Liam? Well, I'm the guy. If 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 you want a guy to answer depressing and miserable questions, it, it's me. Um, <laughs> got, yeah, yeah. It's interesting what you say about cocaine because there's a perception, isn't there, that it's a very middle class drug. That was the yeah uh, the the sort of media take on it in the 90s but i as i know as as is covered in one of the episodes of ladhood i've seen it run rife through more working class communities and it isn't the sort of in my experience you know this this this, it is partly like you know media executives in soho having champagne and and coke but it's probably more more of the, the the market for cocaine in this country is bored suburban middle lower middle class working class people in yeah. ha- in the house, in a house at a weekend, sitting around the kitchen table doing it. And I guess you can tell a lot from uh, places and, the, and societies by the drugs that become most rife. And uh, 
it is an, a sort of answer. I don't think it's a good answer, but it's it's an answer to boredom and it's an answer to monotony mm. and predictability. Because that is a little bit what small town life in Britain is like, I suppose. I, I'd have come, I have to say I am effectively and always have been a middle class person. My my parents were uh, both worked for HMRC basically in the end, yeah. not particularly. I love that that has to almost be a confession <laughs> yeah, these yeah, days. Yeah, totally. I have yeah, to yeah. cards yeah. on the table. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've got to come clean. I thought I might get away with it in, in this podcast, but now I've, now it's out there. It's, I feel better. Um, so that you know, maybe that that's why I, I believe so strongly in things like UBI. You know, taxation for the benefit of all. Anyway, you know, so they were. We were. I always quote. Uh, Mike Skinner on this uh, in his he had an autobiography which is which is pretty good a few years ago the story of the streets I think it was called and uh, he described his upbringing as being Barrett classes in Barrett the house uh, the house builders right you know Barrett estates um, yeah n- not 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 exactly poor but not much money about pretty boring basically that it was that kind of atmosphere yeah. and but but in the end safe and comfortable on the whole but then there's those moments of and, and but in a town where that line between what is working class and what is middle class is very hard to put your finger on you know is it just about what job your parents have because there'd be people with parents whose jobs were more traditionally working class but they'd have bigger houses than somebody whose parents were yeah. teachers or whatever so it's all a bit jumbled up i i, I completely re- I relate to that again ex- exactly the same because I've never really known what class I fall yeah. under because I had a thing where my mum worked for the council, my dad worked in a factory, but he ended up being management in the factory and then he ended up being a director in the factory. Wow, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. did we change? Like, he started off sweeping yeah, the floors yeah, yeah. in a factory, so it's it's that really confusing mm. thing of what. Well, or what does that come under and, and what well, do I have to confess to? <laughs> yeah, well, it was like that man who uh, was on question time and saying, you know, I'm working class and the Labour Party doesn't care about working class people in this country. And he basically had to admit on question time that he owned he earned £85,000 a year and was sitting yeah. there telling the nation that he's working class. But there would yeah. be, I think, like certain celebrities. You may have been once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, at a certain level. you. Anyway, I but I was basically a middle class, or a kid with middle class aspiring parents in a town with yeah. lots of, I suppose you might say, more working class friends. And, and you are, you're just trying to give your imagination something to 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 latch onto and so drugs were were a fairly big part of it weed and 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 drinking and and ultimately cocaine and the sort of miss and and just the 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 petty chaos of young men hanging out together and and getting overexcited and little foray all sorts of just trying things out like i got into like aggressive inline skating for a while uh, but equally uh, football obviously of course but then sometimes just like petty vandalism like just just smashing things up and destroying things yeah which you look back on later and you think what the hell what was wrong with me but the, somehow that was yeah. a piece in the episode in one of the episodes that gave me a massive flashback to I used to have to get a train to and from school mm. and I remember us just smashing up a carriage one day because yeah. we were just on the way home and we were angry rebellious kids and now I look back and go, what the fuck is the point in that? That's so yeah, yeah. That's so dumb. What what can I quickly ask, what was it that got you into inline skating? Because I remember when Heartbreak High was on, um 
Drazig was on there and he was an inline skater and it was I I had a brief moment of really wanting to get into inline skating but found I was too tall and lanky and didn't have the the balance. So what was your okay. your your gateway? Well, I think inline skates became a big thing in our out round our way uh when I was about 10 11 something like that. And and at the, equally uh hockey very briefly yeah. like roller hockey was yeah. huge it's I was, I've only just remembered that. I think for like a month, everybody had to have a hockey stick and you had to have skates. And we, yeah. I think it's just quite impractical. It's like you can play football yeah. in the street kind of thing. But if everyone's, I, I, you've got I remember, to... <laughs> I, I remember a few months that basketball did the same. Basketball was the best thing. There was, I had a, a Chicago Bulls basketball. Yeah. So I don't live somewhere that basketball is a viable yeah, yeah. option and we could just, just knock about and do that. But I guess it is like American sports somehow. There must be something on the wind in the in the some marketing force. They pop up in that moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They pop up. I don't know what. But I couldn't tell you like what was going on at, in, on a larger level. It just suddenly everybody had to have skates. In this, there's just someone a bit cooler than you who's maybe whose yeah. parents are a bit more <laughs> rich or, or prone to spoiling them who gets something and and suddenly you have to have it as well. But for me, but then there was a few people who kind of st- stuck with it, which I was one of, and. Got, and yeah, I used to go to skate parks and um, and get all the skating magazines and never quite joined a community of skaters, but um, liked it. And, and skating videos were a good thing. And there was like, I'd learn a lot of music. That, that's maybe some, yeah. some like to inform my music taste. Like this was slightly before the internet, really. So it was from magazines and, and videos that were just made on like camcorders and, you know, edited at home with, and I guess they didn't, they weren't releasing them officially, so they could use whatever music they wanted. Yeah. And I remember hearing, yeah. like, getting into loads of, like, the Pixies and, and a lot of rap stuff and uh, all sorts of songs um, from those videos, yeah. The, the Tony Hawk's computer game then followed yeah. that, 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 that ethos through of g- getting me into loads of bands I'd never heard of. Because, mm. yeah. yeah, they just had really good little soundtracks all ripped from those, yeah, those early skate videos, compilations. Yeah, speaking of nostalgia, they've re- remade the Tony Hawk's games. You, you probably know. Oh, wow. Um, no, I don't know. Th- they've really, you know, their graphics are beautiful, but it's those same old levels. And I've got Amazing. a friend who's moved up to Newcastle. I'm in London. He's in Newcastle. But um, I go up there every few months and we just sit and, and drink beers and just play Tony Hawk's. And he's uh, t- uh, 10 times better than me, but we're not really... Yeah. We're not playing to achieve anything. It's just that that joy and serenity it gives your brain to just to just do those levels again. And, and there's something really yeah. satisfying about the movements and the the kind of yeah, flow. Completely yeah. amazing. So, so what was your route into comedy then? Because again, a small town in Leeds isn't necessarily the 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 place that people are hunting about for for new entertainers and so on and so forth. So, what yeah, what led you there? Who were your who drew you in? Well, sort of, this is another thing I have to complain about, basically, but I went to uh, Cambridge University. and Yes, a, you did the footlights, right? I did footlights. So that it, there's, a, there's um, a, a sort of quite renowned, yeah, this, 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 this group, Footlights, which is basically the, the Cambridge University comedy club, comedy society. Yeah. Uh, and I was vaguely aware of that, I suppose. I kind of, it was all a bit of a blur. I'm, I, we're doing Ladhood Series 3 at the moment, and this is kind of what I'm writing about, is how... That my final year of sixth form at school, I suddenly was applying to Cambridge and was and got an offer and was trying to get the A levels to get in, and it just sort of slightly came out of nowhere. Like one of my teachers encouraged me to go on an open day just to just to see, 
and then yeah. to apply just to see. And and every stage of it was like that. It was like, oh, well, we'll just see what happens. And suddenly the offer comes yeah. back and blah, blah, blah. But um, I, I got, so going there, I no, didn't really know what to expect. I was a bit daunted. I felt like I'd be out of my depth and stuff. But I was vaguely aware of footlights. Like I liked Monty Python. And yeah. I guess even by then, like Stephen Fry and stuff, um, maybe Mitchell and Webb, but I can't. Maybe that maybe I got into them when I was at at uni. Yeah, no, I think maybe. Yeah, roughly. Oh, uh, Peep Show, I guess was was yeah. was on. So I was vaguely aware of this thing, and then turned up, and it's that thing where I don't know if you went to college or uni and what it was like, but I, I went yeah. for a year and dropped out. All right. but yeah, well, I, yeah, and I, I got the experience. Then went, no, that's enough, thanks. Yeah, when you turn up, it's like there's a there's a there's a, there was a freshers' fair, and and I sort of. I'm very impressionable and kind of one of my issues in life almost is that I can't accept that I'll never get to do everything or try everything. You know, that getting yeah. older is that feeling of you've got, I find it hard to focus on the good things. And I think more about the things that are no longer possible or right. yeah. the opportunities I won't have. And uh, so I kind of try and say, I'd probably spread myself a bit too thin and say yes to everything. But uh, at the Freshers' Fair, I signed up to every email list you know so i was for my whole three years still getting <laughs> emails from the juggling society and stuff um, uh but the one th- and, and part of that was these comedy shows were advertised footlight shows and i was too scared and intimidated to even to go and sit in the audience at first i don't know why i don't mm. know if it was being a state school kid at a, an elite uni like that or or whatever but just somehow i i didn't feel cool enough you know i thought maybe i'd even get laughed at in the audience or something. I don't yeah. know I don't know what I was conceiving would happen but I but then I did a bit of theatre in my college uh Cambridge has some complex well it's not that complex but it has different colleges yeah. uh, that make up the university and uh I was in a Shakespeare a Romeo and Juliet I think playing like bedpost number two or you know <laughs> messenger three and stuff and uh then there were some people there rehearsing a sketch to audition for the footlights and I remember sort of thinking it's not that funny uh, it's yeah. okay. It's good that you're trying. You know, it's good to see people making an effort. But it's that sort of feeling of, well, I could maybe do that. Yeah. And then, yeah, so got together with some friends, did a sketch that I think was just like I did an impression of one of our like when you tell a story about Cambridge, it feels like you have to stop every sentence to explain a word. But we had these <laughs> uh, porters, college porters, who were like they, right. they tend to be ex policemen who are like the receptionists, wow. but they go around in like bowler hats, just like checking things are okay. And um, there's not quite as mal- any Americans listening to this are going to be in heaven. Going, this is exactly what I thought Britain was like. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so- ex-policemen in bowler hats, and they're they're walking around telling people not to go on the they're grass. They're looking after the children. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so there was one of these. Well, th- there was sort of some strange scheme where at Cambridge, I think, because the it's so pressured. Like, and this is you know serious momentarily, but. Uh, there, there was concerns about people's mental well-being, obviously, but but it wasn't as complex and uh, as it is now. It wasn't as fully substantial as it is now. It was really like there was only a, ever a kind of mental health intervention back then. It felt like when somebody was deemed at really risk of harming themselves. So there was this yeah. uh, thing. I don't know. If it can't have been officially called this, but we all knew it as suicide watch. If somebody right. were were deemed to be really um, at risk. They might be on suicide watch, and then I think from somewhere we and and I don't I don't know if this is libel or whatever. I'm sure this was all anecdotal. You know, the university probably did deal with it a lot better than than the the stories had it. But there was some story we heard that the porters were like guarding. You know, were the suicide watch guards, and it's like 
just it became funny to us the idea that it would be one of these like grumpy ex-policemen who would come around yeah. somebody's room and so we made a sketch about like you're this, right lad yeah yeah this, Cheer up. This, exactly yeah it was yeah. we did a sketch about that and and it kind of yeah went down where it was just a rush I mean I don't know what it was like for you when you first performed and and it felt like it was going down well but it was unbel- it was like really the greatest high of my life like yeah I, I was like I just could not believe how what it felt like to be on stage and people were laughing and yeah. it, an immediate addiction really yeah was it, it similar it, did you have a similar experience yeah exactly the same I was I'd forgotten how much work I'd put in because I just got up and did myself and thought well that was easy and that was amazing like it felt easy right and the reason again all these things the reason it feels easy is the mm. years of experiences and the and the years of work but yeah it was mm. that kind of why wasn't I doing this all along mm. yeah yeah and that reaction and all those those moments so who was in your your era of footlights I guess because there's always it tends to 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 be quite a, a good starting spot yeah well just before us was like there's a fella called Will Sharp who did this, the the Channel Four sitcom Flowers and yep, yep. the film amazing amazing sitcom yeah the film uh, Black Pond which was out a few years ago with yep. uh, Tom Kingsley who's a great director yep. who directed the show I do please like and he also is directed all sorts Staff Let's Flats and um, amazing Ghosts on BBC yep. uh, and. Uh, then a bit older than them was like Simon Bird and Joe Thomas, who were in the Inbetweeners. And S- Simon directed a series of um, of Ladhood, right, or some episodes? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's revealing something that's going on where the two ex Footlights have directed two series of my TV show, <laughs> yeah. the Footlights Mafia. Uh, that's what they call that. Um, Helen Cripps, who is who's also appears in Flowers, she's a brilliant, yeah. and Anna O'Grady, they do a great double act. And then I was aware of, of people who were a bit old. And there was probably even more that I'd forgotten in the in the midst there as well. And and uh, a bit older than them were like Tim Key, Tom Basden, yeah, Sarah Soleimani. There's a sketch Amazing. group cowards, uh, Mark Watson. So you were kind of aware of these these people. And then in my year, I do this sketch group called Sheeps with um, two of my friends, uh, Jono, Darren Johnson, and Alistair yeah. Roberts. Jono's a great yeah. writer, and and Al is in Staff Let's Flats. He plays uh, a character called Al. Yeah. And um yeah, and, and a bunch of other really talented people who uh, the writer Keith Akushi is a great T V writer, yeah. does a lot of stuff with Armando Inucci. And then people who like were brilliant but like went off and did other completely other things, you know. So um but yeah, it was really uh I don't know, Phil Wang was there, I hear Shark. Yeah. I could just keep naming names. I think I think the, the people talk about the the privilege or whatever else of these things. Like there was a recent yeah. thing about the BBC being some bullshit thing about it's all people whose parents worked in the BBC and stuff like that. But I think the real power of things like the Footlights and Cambridge is letting it on your radar that these things are possible. Like Mm. before you went there, you were applying thinking it probably won't happen, but we'll give it a look. Let's see. Once you're there, you're seeing people who came before you with amazing TV shows with this and that, people in your peer group doing all these things. So I think... Rather than it being, oh, it gets you through doors, it does this or does that, I think there's a lot where it just, no, it, it makes you aware that you can aim for these things, that you can aim to have a TV show or to direct or to do this or to do that. Whereas in more working class or state colleges or whatever else, that's not necessarily kind of pushed as a as a serious career option. 
No, absolutely. I remember being at school and uh, we had a business studies teacher. He was, uh, I, I got in my head that I disliked him and found him really boring, but I think he's probably a really nice guy in hindsight. But there's something, and I feel like one day, I think after one of his lessons, I said to the person I was sitting next to, like, that was the most boring hour of my life or whatever. And then I realized that he'd overheard. And it's just that horrible feeling where you realize, because you think the teachers, especially the male teachers are so... Um, sort of strong uh yeah. unimpeachably strong figures of of adult authority and then you realize like just an offhand comment can can hurt their feelings it's yeah. kind of it's just a bloke trying to do his job yeah but that said i am <laughs> going to tell a damning story about him now uh but i won't name him by name but but one one he was telling us this, and it, it, probably for reasons like this that i didn't that i i took a dislike to him but he was kind of being realistic in the context we were in which was one day he was I guess we were getting to like year GCSEs or whatever and thinking about careers. And he was trying to tell us, I don't know what, a helpful story where he said, I was speaking to Damien so-and-so in the year above. And the thing is, you've all got to remember is you've got to be realistic in life. Because I said to him, what do you want to do with your life? And he said, I want to be a film director or a music producer. I said to him, right, do you know how to produce music? He said, no. I said, do you know how to direct films? He said, no. I said, you've got to think realistically lad you know and it and at the time it's sort of like, all right yeah i guess that's but you look back you're like no that is ridiculous i hope things have changed now you know like yeah. at school i didn't know how to do any of the jobs that yeah. are available i was a school child <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 what and maybe his point was like because this kid that he was talking about wasn't a particularly academically accomplished mm-hmm. kid and probably had behavioral problems and stuff but maybe it's because partly because these things that he was interested in were not catered for in school. But that is a, a product of the re- the resources just aren't there on the whole. I mean, these days with media, for example, various media forms, like, it, it, you know, we now know you can make stuff on in, on your computer at home and the education system is probably catching up with that a bit. But on the whole, the, the resources aren't there to the same extent. And what is so amazing about footlights and that is just a microcosm of elite education in general is just the resources you get because as a as a nobody comedian with no experience and not no accomplishments you can have an audience of 200 people will turn up every week to watch you in a really good theater you've got budget for props or whatever you need you've got technicians uh you've got rehearsal spaces you've got all the resources that now yeah. Even now, as as okay, if I work with the BBC, you get that there. But if I'm when I'm say doing my live sketch show or whatever, it's a pain to be trying to book rehearsal spaces, and you've got to keep an eye on the budget and you know stuff. Even now, that ten, twelve years on is a nuisance to put together. We just had it at our fingertips and probably didn't realize at the time how how lucky we were. So I think it, yeah. it, it, it you know part of the privilege of uh, people rightfully complain about the over representation of people from Oxbridge in comedy in the media in general and they're absolutely right to I wouldn't really challenge them on it um we do I mean part of the problem is about Oxbridge becoming more representative but it's also about it not being you know the the media not being dominated by people who've been through an elite education but it isn't simply that the gatekeepers went to Oxbridge themselves or only look out for people who went to Oxbridge Another big factor is just the people who went to Oxbridge had so much better resources that they got yeah. an, an immense training given to them basically for free. Yeah, they're already more of a finished product yeah. when they're applying and, and going in for these things. And more confidence. And so it yeah. boils down to that thing again. I mean, we don't. I, I always end up turning things into a, 
a, a diatribe for socialism, but it, you've got to level up the resources across the board, across the education system. That's where the problem is. Yeah. It isn't simply about the gatekeepers being biased or whatever. It, I mean, it brings us nicely on to, and I'll wrap things up soon because we've been, been going for an hour, so I don't want to take up too much of your of your day. But um, it brings us on to Please Like because YouTube has been a great leveller in the entertainment industry. Um, and what I love about Please Like is I now feel that the fact that we turn our nose up at YouTubers or Twitch streamers or whatever else is our failing as a society because we've built a society where if you don't hate your job, it's not a real job. And we go, oh, they earn money for that. They earn money for playing computer games. They earn money for, for dicking about on a screen. That should be celebrated. But equally, your character's cynicism is also deep in my core. So as much as I, the, the, a lot of YouTube isn't directed at me, I'm not the target audience, it's fine. Yeah. So it's a beautiful balance in that respect because it is satire on this culture, but it's also often your character who is there to, to sat- satirise it is the one that's coming up short or being exposed as incorrect or making assumptions and and things like that so yeah how was that to work on as a or how is it to work and it's still been going quite recently as a show yeah it's been good i mean there's a feeling with it like i think we've done three series now and there's a feeling after each one of that oh you know we've we've done that you know now we've there's only so much you can take the piss out of youtubers or influencers and we've done everything there is to do on it and then suddenly just something will shift in the in the world, the realm of, of um, vlogging and, and influencer culture, like just something will happen. Like between series one and series two, it was the kind of rise into the mainstream of the, the kind of alt-right yep. Uh, yep. vloggers and their, 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 their sort of overlaps with the sort of freedom of speech community, if such a thing exists. Uh, yeah. And uh, then for series three, I guess it was informed a lot by the pandemic and the rise of the kind of the, the influencer, the commercial influencer, people yeah who whose job is to literally to to use a product and say use you should use this product but but not often with a great deal of expertise like just this yeah. this sort of strange aura of um of trust bestowed in them and a, and again a completely unwarranted confidence yeah it, we go back yeah. to that 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 oxbridge thing yeah except well a lot of these i mean i suppose a lot of them have are, are, are very good looking people or whatever but they're not but they're, but that's the thing i mean you, you have got to admire them that a lot of them are yeah they're really just coming out of nowhere and hustling yeah. they're hustling yeah. away but but I um it. i've i've enjoyed it a lot and my my character is is presented uh, you know it's an exaggerated version but not all that exaggerated version of myself as a sort of grumpy neo luddite distrusting of of um, modernity at, at large but having to kind of slowly accept that Change is inevitable. You can't hold back the tide. And just trying to see the wood from the trees with this stuff in terms of what is just inevitable change that you've got to adapt to and what is pernicious, dangerous bullshit that we should critique. And I think as you kind of, as you, yeah, like inherently, I think vlogging, Twitch streaming, being a content creator is is actually a, a really, well, at least neutral thing and can be a brilliant thing. And, and actually yeah. a, a shift from large... Um, you know, media outlets with uh, mostly corporate commercial structures towards independent creators and, and broadcasters is is kind of a cool thing. It's just 
one of the concerns, the satirical concerns of the show is just like, let's not reproduce all the problems with legacy media in this new form. So let's not just go down the, the slide towards like vacuous reliance on, on, on kind of advertising at the expense of, of truth and quality. And let's not let hierarchies of, of power and influence overwhelm uh, access and democracy and, and yeah. Yeah, so because a lot of the because you a lot of it's like anything, isn't it? Like new technologies come and we think we're going like the internet. You know, we think we're going to be free and liberated, and then suddenly it 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 reproduces the problems that were already there and exacerbates them. Yeah, we mess it all up. I can't remember who who it was. It was a previous guest, so I apologise for. I think it might have been Laurie Penny who 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 used the kind of analogy with social media of of when we first built cities and kind mm. of towns and moved everyone from little encampments into these big cities mm. within a few months the streets were awash with piss and shit because we hadn't <laughs> invented a sewer system yeah, we, hadn't, yeah. we yeah. had this great grand idea to bring everyone together to share resources but we didn't know how to to, to do it and we feel mm. like we're in the middle of that yeah point with, with the internet L- look at what we can do but then all oh, right we're doing it wrong, and we don't know how to handle it. So we need to invent a digital sewer, is what you? Yeah, what essentially, yeah. essentially. But but I mean that's that's fast becoming Twitter and Facebook anyway. So <laughs> yeah, we've got that yeah. covered. But yeah. another thing I liked about Please Like, it's quite short episodes. I had exactly as you said. I binged it all while I was filming a TV show in Canada during the pandemic. So I was on my own. And I needed good stuff to watch. And I found that I finished the first series and thought, I can see that at that point, I can see there's another series. I don't know what they're going to do here. But but as you say, things mm. throw themselves up. But the other beautiful thing, Tim Key and John Pointing are just yeah. two of my favourites. They're absolutely amazing. But it's also because they're quite short episodes and quite often standalone, it's easy to throw in. Lolly Adafopi, Natasha and Jamie, Dimitri, John Kearns, all these amazing people that I love from their stand-up or from things like staff. It's quite easy for for them to, to pop in for an episode and create something brilliant and, yeah, and move on. Yeah, it's like a sketch show, really, which has been yeah. great to do because it's hard because I, I, I've done a lot of sketch. Um, I was doing that about as equally as I was doing stand-up, really, and, but the sketch yeah. show... Mainly for budgetary reasons, fell out of favour for a few a few years. Maybe it's coming back a little bit. But what's great about what what decide apart from needing the money, what made me think I really <laughs> want to run with this and make it happen is the the realization that it didn't have to just be about like Zoella, if you know her, as it didn't have yeah, to be just yeah. about the certain like famous you know makeup vloggers or whatever. YouTube itself is presents presents categories. And you could yeah. look at a different category every episode, and therefore it could kind of be about anything. It didn't need to just be about online culture as such, really. There's, you could you could go in any direction. So that sketch show um, sort of format has, has been a nice part of it, and and even better, yeah, just getting those great cameos in for um, for one episode. Yeah, we've been very lucky with that. It's that sort of thing of you look back at the cast of the first series, and they've all. Uh, I'm jealous of most of them. Let's just say <laughs> by this point understandably well uh, before i kind of wrap things up and ask what's ahead i want to kind of ask who you're a fan of and 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 what you watch and what influences 
are you? Because yeah, I'm just curious to find yeah who your influences are at the moment or what you're into at the moment. Even not influences, just enjoyment. Yeah. Well, as I said earlier, I, I very you know I'm I'm one of the probably many many people who were never diagnosed with ADHD, but is convinced they have it, and maybe entirely <laughs> wrongly. But thinking in those terms helps me vaguely make sense of my mind. Like I get very easily distracted by things, and in, well, it's the name of this podcast really isn't it yeah yeah, um, yeah exactly. distraction is a distraction can be a really good thing and so all of this is a long-winded way of saying i like lots of things and I, I find it really hard to pin down what my tastes are as such and so I'll, I'll just randomly throw some stuff out that i have been enjoying i really enjoyed michaela cole's series uh i may destroy you uh well i know Astounding, that's not, wasn't not it? particularly new now yeah but i thought that was brilliant and it again, has that it's not quite nostalgia as such, but that format of something has happened to her in the past that she can't quite remember. And the series is about trying to loop back and get back, play with time in that way. So it's another example of this um, this feeling of uh, th- th- that sort of form of being stuck in a time loop, which I yeah. love. Adam Curtis, I really like yeah. his work. Uh, I'm He's getting... just amazing, isn't he? His, his yeah. one, again, if anyone hasn't watched it, his recent, was it five-part or six-part series on that's on iPlayer yeah, yeah. is just... It's amazing. Yeah, I love it's, his work. Yeah. Uh, I really like the podcast of, I know you've had him on here, Blind Boy. I really like yeah. uh, Blind Boy's podcast. That's a really cool podcast. I think he's I amazing. Have you watched his show on iPlayer? I've seen I've seen the, some clips which are brilliant. Because he did, a, he did like a two-part. He only did yeah. like a one one episode or two episodes. But, but, but that was, again, just absolutely astounding. You're, because the Rubber Bandits had a comedy number one in Ireland, you kind of think it's going to be throwaway. And because they wear plastic bags on the head, but it's again, it's one of the most intellectual and funny and scathing things I've, I've, I've watched. It's, yeah. it's great. And he's so smart, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to watch his BBC yeah. show. Uh, I'm it's trying really to read good. more. I, 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 I'm, I wrote, I'm, I'm one of those comedians who wrote a book a few years ago, but I did do it before the, before the pandemic. So. <laughs> That's completely um, legit then. <laughs> I, uh, but I'd, I'd maybe like to write another novel at some point. Um, so I'm trying to read more. I just read a great book by uh, Lisa Tadeo called uh, Animal. That was okay. very cool. Limmy, I really like. Kind of needs yeah. no. No, there's a few there's a few for you but as i, I say it. just very um I, I don't know eclectic is the cliche isn't it i i just I like a magpie i guess have you got into any of limmy on 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 twitch or anything well, on twitch yeah yeah pre-pandemic but... i wasn't a fan of twitch post-pandemic no. i swear half of what i watch is either david earl on twitch or limmy on twitch just yeah well i think the other thing is that i'm not particularly on the pulse so when i'm saying check out michaela cole and everybody's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> we did a year ago, mate. Uh, I watched <laughs> clips of Limmy. I watched Twitch clips of Limmy on YouTube. Like yeah, I haven't really yeah. got round the in. Like I haven't got into the interface of Twitch, but people yeah. and he he himself, I think, puts clips on YouTube. Yeah, and I watch them there. So I like watching new content on on older platforms. Yeah, yeah. the best bits on YouTube. So 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 what's ahead then? Um, there's a third season of Ladhood on its way. Is that correct? Yeah. Landed Series 3, which we'll film in February, March, April time next year. So that should be along Great. by the summer. And then I kind of want to take some time off, like, because I've kind of just been going at it for a few years, which has been really enjoyable. I was going to say, it feels with three series of Please Like and two series of Ladhood, they're both still quite new sh- shows, yet they're, you know, you've got through, yeah, it seems like you've 
been fucking busy, essentially. Yeah, well, and a book. Don't forget the book. And a book. Um, Don't forget the book. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Um, yeah, so, and, and I'd wanted to go traveling, and then the pandemic came along. So maybe yeah. next year I'll do some traveling. And then next September, I'm, I'm actually starting a master's in uh, ecology and sustainability. Oh, wow. So I feel like it could be, and I'll slowly work on something in the meantime, maybe a new TV show, maybe a book. But it could be another couple of years before I've got a new thing. But I almost want that time off, you know. I kind of feel like yeah. hopefully I'll be lucky enough to, to be able to take it. And, and I just need to refill my mind or something a bit, you know, have learn about some new stuff and have some new ideas. Yeah, go off and, and live life yeah, a bit because yeah, that's what yeah. informs all of it. It's that whole th- thing everyone always says, an artist, a, a musician, their first album – is their whole life's experiences mm. and this, yeah. this second album has to be the last year's experience yeah. since their first album so it's that kind of most of which they spent making the album so yeah yeah exactly yeah well, well thank you very much man thank, thank you, you for your time it's been it's been an absolute pleasure and i, I said i highly re- recommend uh, we didn't get to talk about dead to me but but that's also on iplayer and is amazing Stafflex flats is on Whatever the Channel Four one's called, all four, all four, all four. Uh, do you mean Back to Life rather than Back dead to me? Life? Sorry, yeah, not yeah. Dead to Me. Back to Life. My yeah, my mistake. Uh, Back to Life, which is Daisy Haggard's show. Yeah, yeah. Which is just I don't got, know why this... I've written down Dead to Me. That is a yeah. show, I think. Dead. That to is me, a show, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's another one. It's a Netflix one, I think. Back to Life is the one I'm talking about. I've yeah. not watched Dead to Me. I could be absolute <laughs> horseshit. I'm yeah. not back in that. Well, let's, let's stay neutral. We'll stay out. neutral on Dead to Me. Maybe check if you, if you're planning to check out Dead to Me. Don't be deterred by. Let by, me know by, if, yeah, if yeah, I yeah. should watch Dead to Me yeah, or not. Yeah, because I'm um, undecided yet. But yeah, and and I said please like and and um and Ladhood are both on iPlayer as well. Yes. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Liam Williams. It's so weird. In my notes, like three different times in my notes, I'd written down Dead to Me instead of Back to Life. I was so confident in the name of the show. I didn't even look it up because it's a show I, you know, I really enjoyed. I didn't even look it up. It was just like, yep, there we go. That's, that's what that is. That's definitely what that is wonderfully enjoyable so yeah that's a, a slip up on my part but i'm really glad that um liam pulled me up on it because i wouldn't i wouldn't want you getting confused yeah there we go i hope you enjoyed that episode and if you did and if you haven't watched ladhood and please like and all the other stuff obviously as said back to life is amazing stuff let's flats is amazing everything this dude's worked on essentially is amazing and uh i'm excited to see what's to come he was in the 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 return episode i think it was of of this time with alan partridge so the first episode i'm sure that was it it was it was in the first series at least but yeah he's a good lad and you should go and enjoy all of his output i'll be back next week with more wonderful guests in fact i'll tell you i've got the wonderful irvin welsh next week legend legend in the game uh so yeah check that out next week and uh i'll see you then until then stay safe and stay sane ta-ta